there's this vicious cycle where those residents and patients that are fearful of falling, they move less, and when they move less, their strength decreases and their balance gets worse, and counterintuitively, they actually fall more. So there's this sort of need to short circuit this vicious downward spiral. Welcome to MedTech Mindset. I'm your host, Dan Henrich, and I'm director of marketing at SmithWise. Recently, one of our SmithWise clients and friends from the industry, Wamas Singatop, stopped by our office to be a guest on this show. Wamas is VP of Product Development and CTO of Active Protective, a Philly area medtech company working to bring a really cool product to market. A smart belt that can sense a fall in progress and deploy airbags to shield the hips of the wearer. Our team at SmithWise has had the opportunity to be part of this development process, and it's been fantastic to be along for that journey. You can see a video of the deployment in action by visiting our smithwise.com blog and finding the post for this episode. I'll mention before we jump into the conversation that we had a problem with our original audio recording file, so we had to fall back on the audio from a video camera we had running. It's a bit echoey, but we'll get right back to better audio quality with real mics next episode. Wamas sat down with our president, Eric Sigalski, to talk about the active protective product journey and some of the issues they thought through as they planned their path to market. So first of all, Wamas, thanks so much for taking time to be part of this uh, podcast. Really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I wanted to start with, uh, you had a really interesting career at J&J in the orthopedic space. And you decided to move on from DNJ, which probably had a lot of benefits, a lot of great things about it, and move into this startup that had a certain amount of risk. Take us back to that place where you were. Tell us a little bit about what was happening at J&J and how you made this decision to, to join Active Protective. Yeah, so it was probably the scariest decision I've ever made in my professional life. Um, and maybe twice as scary to my wife when I went home and told her that I'd be leaving J&J because people just don't do that. Uh, it's a great company. Uh, but I, I was actually, uh, once I was with the company that J&J acquired, Synthes, uh, and Synthes uh, was a, a major orthopedic player. Uh, and I, once J&J acquired us, I had landed in the trauma business unit. So trauma meaning orthopedic trauma, so broken bones. And I was on the franchise marketing team and I actually ran the portfolio that was responsible for um, knee and paraprosthetics uh, in, uh, fractures. So implants that would go to fix knee and uh, fractures that were happening around a, like a total hip, for example. Um, and so interestingly, uh, as we were looking at portfolio opportunities, uh, I came across Active Protective. And Active Protective was not in the business of, uh, you know, obviously uh, fixing fractures. They were in the business of preventing fractures. Um, but it was an interesting sort of rehab play for us. And the more I learned about Active Protective, uh, it was super early stage at that time. Um, there was only just the CEO working with some external development partners, Smithwise being one of them. Uh, but the more I learned about them, the more I realized that I had to come and help them make this a reality. Uh, and it was probably the toughest decision that I've made um, and 
one of the toughest conversations that I've had with my wife. Yeah, I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Active Protector. Super compelling opportunity for you to you know convince you to to leave J and J. What is what exactly is Active Protective? Uh, doing. Yeah, so uh, it's really an amazing technology. The company uh, was founded by uh, Dr. Bob Buckman, former chief of trauma from Temple University. Uh, and uh, he had a long career in, in the inner city, Philadelphia, really like knife and gunshot, really bad traumas. And then later in his career, he moved out into the suburbs at St. Mary's Hospital, and he saw a really big shift in his cases. They were all really hip fractures. Um, you know, little old ladies falling down, breaking their hips and struggling for their lives. Um, and he really thought there has to be a different way. And after racking his brain, he came up with a, you know, a wearable form that actively protected the hips. Uh, and that really was the genesis of Active Protective. So Active Protective, our mission is really to make hip fractures a preventable condition. And it's through this smart belt that can very accurately uh, monitor a user's motions and detect when there is a serious hip impacting fall and then deploy airbags over the hips prior to impact. And it's also a connect connected device. So it, it sends caregiver alerts as well. Um, and it records all the motion data um, we then can analyze that in, in the cloud. We developed our own cloud application and we can present that motion data and user activity data back to uh, caregivers and therapists, anybody on the care team um, to really help inform the care or the therapy that, that the user is receiving. Got it. Great, great. So who specifically is this product intended to be used for? You know, there's a lot of obviously elderly people that might be prone to hip fractures, but there are people in nursing homes, there are people in assisted living facilities, there's some people that are living independently where this product might be applicable. Tell us about how you, you know, evaluated those different customer segments and if there's one in particular that you really honed in on. Yeah, sure, sure. So in general, I think, you know, our the most broadest category would be a high fall risk individual. So an older adult, uh, that, that is predisposed to falling, whether it's through um, some gait abnormalities or um, through uh, sort of balance issues. It's really just a normal function of aging that you know, your, your balance degrades um, to the point where there's a threshold where you're then a high fall risk. Um, and when we look at high fall risk individuals, they're really the market can be really cut into two halves. One is aging at home, and one is what we sort of generically refer to as the supervised care market. The supervised care market is it's really big. It includes this entire continuum from really the acute setting to uh, post-acute. So if you're you know just discharged from a hospital into say a rehab facility, um, which is also a skilled nursing facility, um, and then the, the next level of sort of acuity would be assisted living. So that kind of takes you into these retirement communities and there's this whole world around um, what's uh, called CCRCs or continuing care retirement communities that have assisted living, skilled nursing, and then independent living all on the same campus. And so um, that is what we consider the supervised care community, even though you may have very different use settings on the same campus. So for example, on a CCRC, you'll find 
One side, like I said, is independent living, and it's essentially like an apartment complex. The residents there can come and go as they please, but on the same campus, they do have uh, nursing, they do have medical assistance if and when they need it. Um, and so for us, that poses a great opportunity that we can get a belt into a, onto a campus like that where we can have the IT department involved to connect belts to Wi-Fi. Um, we can have you know, a fall risk assessment done because there's nursing staff or therapists on site. Um, and then transition from that kind of setting all the way to say like a skilled nursing on the same campus. So as these residents come in, they typically come in and, into independent living and then um, as their health degrades, they transition into these higher acuity care settings on the same campus. So it's a really nice market for us because you really can capture a wide variety of users. Right, and like you said, the infrastructure is already in place uh, to facilitate usage of this, of this system. So you know, build, building on that, when you're trying to get a product uh, into that type of environment, there's probably a lot of stakeholders. There's a lot of you know people that could be uh, influencers in, in terms of adopting this type of product. Who, who is who is the buyer in that case, and and who are some of the other stakeholders that you need to be thinking about in order to get your product into that type of market? Yeah, sure. So the the buyer is really uh, primarily the facility owners. So the facility owners, the real, they are financially on the hook, so to speak, for you know um, risk and liability. Uh, so if someone, if your resident, for example, falls and breaks their hip on their campus, then they're liable for that. And um, these facilities face enormous uh, lawsuit liability exposure, and it varies by state depending on states whether they have tort reform or not. Mm -hmm. But for example, in California, the average uh, liability sort of lawsuit is around five to $600,000 per hip fracture. If you go to the state of Kentucky where there is no tort reform, it's $1.7 million per hip fracture, and it's everywhere in between. Um, and so uh, they are incredibly interested in pursuing any technologies that can try to minimize that risk, uh, that liability exposure that they have. So they are a very motivated buyer for us. Um, but then we also see that there are, again, like in the CCRC campus, because there are these different care settings, there are opportunities to do some cost sharing or pass some of the costs down to, say, an independent living resident who may not be as high of a fall risk, but they may still be motivated to wear the belt. And in that case, a facility may buy the belt from us and then actually pass some of that cost to the resident. Hey listeners, just a quick break to remind you that MedTech Mindset is a production of SmithWise, a medical device development firm with offices in Boston and Philadelphia. We help innovators accelerate new medical technologies along their path to market from concept all the way to commercialization. Visit us at smithwise.com to learn more. You mentioned that these facility administrators, they're looking at this from a standpoint of reducing their liability. I would assume that they, they want some type of evidence that your device, your product is actually going to, going to do that before they invest in this new technology. Is that true? And, and if so, how does Active Protector provide that compelling evidence to those buyers? Yeah, that, absolutely. They're, they're looking for evidence. 
Uh, I think the good thing we have going for us is that we aren't, we're, we're essentially repurposing known technologies. And, you know, we've got automotive grade airbags and automotive grade inflation um, inflator within the belt. They uh, pretty much the population trusts that airbags work. Airbags will, you know, they save lives for decades within automotives, uh, uh, automotive applications and, and they'll save lives in our product as well. So we don't have to convince them that an airbag will work uh, if deployed properly. So we, you know, things we have to convince people around are typically compliance. So will people actually wear the belt? Mm. Uh, and that's a big one, right? It's wearable. Uh, you look at the evidence around wearables and how they've been adopted into the population at large, it's not great, right? right? Um, it's the, you know, the worry well, and it's the fitness buffs, right? Yeah. So, you know, going outside of that into an older adult population with a wearable, it's a very reasonable question to ask, right? And so we get that question, that's probably the most common question that we get. To, to, that, to that point, does being in a supervised setting, uh, does that make compliance with the product uh, simpler? It, it helps, it helps, no question, but the primary way to uh, really promote and enable compliance is really through the design of the product. So yeah. you've got to design the product that is you know, highly usable, that you know, blends into the user's lifestyle, and um, that you know, you've got to target the right users as well. So you know, we're targeting those users that are highly motivated, and that's how we'll get compliance with sort of this niche or beachhead strategy in terms of um, targeting and, and good design. Got it, got it. So, like you said, the, the airbags are a well-known technology, but the evidence, these, these uh, uh, facilities that you're getting the product into, they're not looking for studies, clinical studies, that are showing that your product is reducing the incidence of hip fracture. Yeah, not these facility providers. Now, not all stakeholders are gonna have a level, uh, uh, an evidence bar, if you will, that, that's that low. Um, an insurer, for example, uh, or a hospital network, you know, they will probably have a little bit higher bar yeah. in terms of, you know, the the um, efficacy, if you will, of, of the technology. And in time, we'll generate that efficacy to show that, you know, we are actually protecting the hip, um, potentially changing the injury rate, um, that uh, our algorithm is very accurate and it, you know, deploys when it should and, and doesn't deploy when it shouldn't. Those kind of things um, will actually, you know, be able to generate, but it'll be a longer effort. It'll be a longer time frame to get to get to that. Got it. Got it. Uh, what What does the regulatory process look like for this product? Yeah, there's you know there's so many conversations that we had internally early on of what was the right pathway to go down. Um, obviously, you could have we could have developed it as a medical device. Um, that's the world that I came from, right. you know, as you said, um, and we've got some others within the company who have med device backgrounds. Um, or we could have developed it as a just purely consumer electronic device or a consumer product mm. um, that wasn't subject to all of these additional regulatory hurdles. Um, we actually, at the end, after really looking through the pros and cons of each pathway, we actually chose a sort of hybrid approach. Mm. Um, so we're, we're developing it as a personal safety product. And a personal safety product is not a medical device. 
Um, but we are, you know, of course, going to be subjecting it to um, some standards, if you will, and um, best practices from like the automotive industry, for example. Um, and uh, we're, we're pulling the best bits out of the med device space to um, really result in a better and safer personal safety product. Got it, got it. So with the hybrid approach, you know, when you're, you're presumably developing a lot of the, you know, the documentation that's going to eventually be needed to meet that medical device requirement, why not just take the medical device route right from the get-go? What's the reason to not do that? Yeah, I mean, there, there are many uh, examples of, you know, companies that have just really faced these um, shifting and very onerous um, regulations and um, never made it through across the finish line, mm. right? So, um, you know, we were you know, we're, we're incredibly conservative in our approach. And so, um, you know, like I said, when we really sat down and looked at the best approach, it, it's really one that, um, where we feel we can make the safest and the best product. Um, and it's not uh, really encumbered by unnecessary um, restrictions. And so for, uh, I'll give you an example. So we decided to, um, develop a, a quality management system mm. within the company. And it's a quality management system that's um, essentially, uh, it's a hybrid between uh, 9001, which would be you know, your typical consumer product uh, company, and a 1345, which would be your typical med device company's quality management system. So you know, we've bolted on the best parts of med device being like, for example, uh, design control. Right, design control, really important to making a good product, having good documentation, um, showing that you know, your product actually meets its requirements. Sure. And then um, risk management. So you know, my time in the med device space, um, you know, engineers have uh, conflicting views of risk management, but um, my personal view is that risk management, when applied correctly, really will result in a better product and a safer product. And obviously being a personal safety product, that's important to us. Right, so a lot of these things, quality management, design control, risk management, they're required for medical devices, but just they could be considered just good you know, engineering practice for all products, regardless of the regulatory pathway. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I think um, you know, uh, quality by design. Yeah. Right um, is is a really important thing. Like you said, could be applied regardless of what category your product falls in. Right, right. So down the road, do you see a, a reason to uh, become a regulated device for uh, certain indications or perhaps? Perhaps I think perhaps I, what you know what we can say is as, as a personal safety product is you know for example we protect the hips in the event of a fall. Yeah. Right. Um, we have to be careful not to make any medical claims, just like any other non-medical product. Um, we can't or wouldn't say something like, you know, we reduce the incidence of hip fracture by 23%, right? right. I mean, that's, right. those are clearly making some medical claims. And um, at some point down the road, for, for marketing purposes, we might want to go down that path. And if, if we do, then, you know, we're not starting from scratch, so to speak. We've got these parts of the med device um, regulations already ingrained within, right. within our development. It's already there. Okay. 
make sense. So what, um, you know, when, when you're you have you have a, 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 a processor inside of this system that's collecting all kinds of motion data, potentially fall data. This data is going up into the cloud, where this could be really valuable data for your company, also for other companies. How does this fit into the equation? You know, are you looking at this as real world evidence that could help you with you know convincing insurance companies or others that this product is is of high value or how are you using data with this product absolutely i think data is playing a more and more important role in the value proposition our value proposition of what we provide and it's not that we didn't really realize that out of the gate you know we would sit down with facility owners and they bring in their clinical team into meetings and, and we present the product and it's, you know, our mission is to make hip fractures a preventable condition and here's this amazing technology that, you know, will very accurately detect a serious hip infected fall, et cetera, et cetera. And then midway through our pitch, they'd say, okay, that's great. We get that and that's amazing. We have, you know, uh, you know, needs there, but you know what this really does for us? is it gives our patients and our, our residents a sense of confidence that will enable mobility. And that's a whole nother piece of our value proposition that's really become uh, as important almost as the hip fracture prevention um, or, or hip, hip protection in the event of a fall. Um, and it's because it's what they struggle with on a daily basis. The um, need to get people up and moving um, especially those that are, you know, higher acuity patients, especially those that are, you know, higher fall risk. There's this vicious cycle where those residents and patients that are fearful of falling, they move less, and when they move less, their strength decreases and their balance gets worse, and counterintuitively, they actually fall more. So there's this sort of need to short circuit this vicious downward spiral uh, with a you know product that can sort of inject confidence into these people and get them up and moving and then hopefully then they get all the health benefits that that come from from that mobility um, so the, the data i mean wrapping all this back to the data piece uh, the data piece is really key to providing evidence of that and so, you know, it's essentially a, a very sophisticated activity tracker, if you will. Um, we can measure things that a Fitbit or an Apple Watch couldn't measure, um, such as very accurately measuring postural sway. So, you know, if you put a Fitbit, um, and I'm, you know, showing you the one I have, right? It's subject to all this artifact from you know, your extremities moving around and I, I talk with my hands. So, you know, I probably look like I've taken a hundred steps right. at the end of this interview. Um, but our belt is mounted, the, the motion sensor is mounted on the user's lower lumbar spine. Right. And so that can very accurately detect these changes in gait and sway and postural control that are very important to a clinical team. Uh, a therapist that's caring for somebody um, and really wanting to enable, you know, their, their reaching their rehab goals. Right, right. So we, we talked a little bit earlier about compliance being an issue. And, you know, I know a lot of medical devices and consumer wellness products, whether it's drug delivery devices or, you know, diagnostic wearables, 
uh, they have, there's this, this notion of using data to try to improve compliance with the new technology. Is that factoring in to uh, how you are looking at things for you know your your user base uh, and continuing to use the product? Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, the Bell is a connected device. So the nice thing that you know we've get the, we get this daily snapshot of who's wearing the belt and how long they're wearing the belt, and uh, we have the ability through this connected element to actively target users who you know should be wearing the belt more. Um, particularly these high fall risk individuals that facilities have identified um, should be wearing the belt for protection. Um, so that's sort of one piece. Uh, the other piece, like I had said, you know, the data when presented in the right manner back to a clinical team can really um, you know, do a lot in terms of uh, informing the care that, that a person gets or really um, documenting progress. Uh, and so, you know, I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but there is, you know, this shift to value-based um, reimbursement, mm -hmm. right? Instead of fee-for-service, and you know, value-based reimbursement is uh, largely going to be based on outcomes. So, you know, you've got to show that you're actually improving functional outcomes for these patients, and um, there aren't great ways to do that in many um, of these care settings. And so, you know, if you can give the clinical team a, um, a nice documented record of how a user has, for example, improved their postural sway or their distance over surface or other mobility and activity measures during the length of their stay within the facility, um, you know, it's, it's really doing them a great service. It's allowing them to document um, the, the effect of their, their therapies and uh, how, how much the patient has improved. Hey listeners, one more quick break to mention that you can visit the smithwise.com blog to see more information about Active Protective and find a link to their site where you can even pre-register to purchase their smart belt as soon as it hits the market. If you have a great MedTech story to tell, a suggested guest we should have on the show, or a topic in MedTech you think we should cover, send me an email at marketing at smithwise.com or use the contact us form on our website. So uh, you're in the active protective now three, four years? If you, uh, going on uh, three years and three months. Okay, okay, great. So knowing what you know now, if you were to think back to when you started, you know, three and a half years ago, is there anything that you would have done differently? Oh, man. Um, is there anything I would have done differently? You know, we've really taken a very... Uh, measured strategic approach to how we've developed this product. Uh, we've and the company as well. Um, you know, we've we've kept the company very lean. Um, we use development partners, like I mentioned. Obviously, Smith Wise has been great, and um, the partnership um, that we have with not only Smith Wise, but you know, we've got an automotive safety company, Joyce on Safety Systems. We've got um, a, an algorithm development team. Um, so. Uh, I, I would absolutely repeat that time and time again. It's um, a very, I think, smart approach to, to keep your internal core team lean mm -hmm. um, until you reach this sort of critical mass. Um, and then once, once you get the product into the marketplace um, and then you've got things like sustaining engineering 
Um, and obviously pipeline products that need to be, to be developed. That's sort of when you start to bolt on some additional capabilities internally, and, and we've, we've done just that. Um, so hard, hard, to, hard to actually think of um, big things that we would do differently. Yeah, I'm sure there's, there's a bunch of little things here and there, but um, I think we've, we've done a pretty good job so yeah. far. Cool, awesome. So one last question for you. Uh, where's what's APT look like after protective look like five years out? You know, what, where do you see the, the future for the company? Yeah, well, uh, that's uh, our dream is really that uh, we develop this product that is um, it becomes normalized, right? So, you know, any new technology you, you, you invent it and you put it out into the world, it's different. Um, and you know, it really requires this, it goes through this process of normalization until it can really get adopted by the masses. And so, you know, in five years from now, um, if, uh, you know, we, we uh, are successful, uh, then this is gonna be a product that you will see on, you know, your older loved ones. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're all a very mission-driven company. Um, that's that's really why you know we work so hard um, is to actually get this product onto as many older adults as we can, um, starting in you know the supervised care settings and then moving into aging at home and then expanding outside of the U.S. Um, into the global markets. So uh, pretty exciting time for us, and and uh, who knows what what's uh, what's beyond that? Um, you know, there's a lot of different areas where we can take personal protection. Um, high-risk occupation, uh, we can take it um, into other uh, parts of the body to protect the head, for example, not just the hip. Um, but really, you know, our focus, uh, again, is on uh, hip fractures because it is um, one of the most, if not the most devastating injury um, that an older adult can, can sustain. And so um, we're going to start with, with the big one and, and, uh, and address that first. Great, great mission, great product. Really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us here, Wallace. Thanks. No, it was great. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks, Eric. Great. And that's our show for today. If you liked it, please subscribe and leave us a great review on your podcast platform of choice. MedTech Mindset is produced by Smithwise right here in our Philadelphia office. Our theme music is composed and personally curated by the Polish ambassador. Thanks to Wamas for being our guest and to Active Protective. And thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on MedTech Mindset.